The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com Hello and welcome. Hidden Horsepower is back. Hi everybody, I'm Joe Costello and we have got another great episode of the Hidden Horsepower podcast. Before we go any further, I want to bring on the co-host. Last time I saw this guy, it was out at the PRI show. I've been listening back to all these great episodes. They have been awesome. Mr. Lake Speed Jr. Lake, welcome back. How are you? Oh, Joe, thanks for not firing me after PRI. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, no worries. No worries. Did a did a great job. Did a great job. You get to hang on for a couple more weeks, Lake, as the co-host. But I got to tell you, you know, that Keith Jones did a great job. The whole team out there at PRI did excellent, excellent yeah, work. Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, Kevin on. Right, we drafted a new co-host into the group, you know. And Kevin so with cool. Jeff Lutz, we learned a lot, and more episodes to come from PRI, everybody. So to those of you who have been reaching out on all the Hidden Horsepower social media, thank you very much for the compliments, and don't worry, more PRI to come. And Lake, isn't it interesting that the end-of-the-year trade shows become such a big deal in the coming year, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about here today, except the trade show that we saw this amazing piece of machinery at was not PRI. It was actually SEMA. Talk a little bit about our guest. Well, so our guest is Mike Copeland from Arrington Performance. And what's interesting is, like you mentioned, you know, the trade show is really the springboard into the next year. Between PRI and SEMA, that's where everybody comes out with whatever new, cool, the next thing. And so me and Matt are walking through SEMA, and we walk by and we see Mike, and he's like, hey, you got to come check out my uh, my brand-new, you know, blown hydrogen-fueled truck. And I'm like, wait, time out. You know, it's one thing to have an engine with a blower on it. That, that's pretty cool. It's one thing to have a truck with a blower in it. Yeah, that's that's even a little more rare. But wait, hydrogen? You know about hydrogen technology? That's crazy cutting edge cool. So we're like, we got to get Mike on Hidden Horsepower because this is the future. It absolutely is the future. I can't wait to hear him You know, share some of the details about what inspired this and how you get to having an engine running on hydrogen at the SEMA show. Absolutely. And I'm excited about it as well because everybody wants to make the entire future electric, and that is not necessarily the case. The reason they're doing that is because they want zero emissions. Maybe there's another way to do it. Maybe there's a way to do it and keep the sound and all of the things that we love about combustion engines. And so let's bring him on. He is the CEO of Arrington Performance, the man responsible for the zero emissions hydrogen-fueled LS3 that was inside the pickup truck out at SEMA that had so many people interested, Mr. Mike Copeland. Mike, welcome to Hidden Horsepower. First time. How are you? Uh, doing great, guys. Appreciate you having me on. No, we're thrilled. I'm thrilled. Lake's thrilled. And what what about that, right? Like, why? Why did you do it? Was it to create a zero emissions vehicle? Was it because somebody said you couldn't do it? What was the origin of this project? Well, first and foremost, Arrington, I've owned Arrington Performance for a little over four years. Um, I bought it. It was in Martinsville, Virginia. I moved it to Michigan. It's always been my goal through my other company, Diversified Creations, when I ran Lingenfelter, when I was at GM, I, I always like to push the technology. I, I know there's always a way to improve no matter what you're doing, and I'm always looking for that. I'm not a huge electric vehicle fan. Um, you know, I, I, they have their place, and, and they're great. I love slot cars, but I kind of like doing that controller with my finger, right? So, <laughs> But uh, when the, the opportunity uh, came as we were exploring this and, and the potential um, I decided, my wife decided that, that we would uh, invest in, and we would go about bringing something new to the world. And that's exactly what you did. Uh, let's, you know, jump to the response that you've gotten from our industry. They, you know, people who love combustion and they love a little sound, right? They love the sound of an engine. And you're, you're offering an alternative that keeps all that in place. What have people told you about this? Well, the response has been phenomenal. I mean, I, I got so many people that are 
that have, you know, reached out and said, Oh, thank God you're doing this. This is a, you know, this is what we need. This is the, the, the answer to the electric car. This is how we save racing. You know, who's going to go sit in the stands and, and watch a bunch of cars go by, right. People just, just aren't excited about that. I got to see that firsthand at the uh, NHRA race out in Vegas. I go there every year. There was a, a, a Mustang that Ford had built that ran low mid eight electric car and, and literally people overwhelmed the concession stands when it came up to make a run because not that there's anything wrong. It's great that it goes eight, but nobody, there's no sound. And that's, that's the sense, right? You have to excite people on the other side. You know, if you look at it from a, just a realistic standpoint, there are 90 million registered internal combustion powered vehicles in the United States. Okay. What are we going to do? Throw them all away. Are you just going to scrap them all because they don't meet some kind of an emission standard that somebody came up with? So uh, doing a conversion to hydrogen allows us to keep the sound. It allows us to keep the vehicle, whether it's a car, a bus, a truck, whatever it is. And it allows us to be zero emission or really, really like right next to zero emission, depending on, on the individual application. But in the case of our truck, we're, we're testing it, and, and we have zero emissions. And as I understand it, it is amazing. And as I understand it, it didn't quite work out. So I'm kind of talking about something that almost happened. But they don't let cars fire up inside those halls because of emissions. But you guys were on the brink or the verge or in the conversation of maybe even being able to start it on the floor because it's zero emissions. Am I right about that? You're right on the money. Yeah, we were we were actually on that path. As you can imagine, when you when you know, I wanted to keep it quiet. I didn't want a lot of people knowing what we were doing because it's one thing to do it. It's another is some people in our industry have decided all you have to do is say you can do it, and that's just not reality. But um, so I was trying to keep it quiet. I was trying to build, uh, get the right people involved so we could get the right exposure for the for the opportunity and for what we were accomplishing and uh and starting it on the floor was one of the things that that we had a lot of discussion about lake jump in here with a question well one thing he mentioned earlier was that the kind of feedback was you know this could save racing and i think that's a really really valid point that the threat over the industry for the last you know six years or so has been um, the EPA and that interpretation they have of the Clean Air Act that basically says any car that's once it's been emission certified, it's illegal to modify it in any way that changes emissions. Uh, even if it, even if you take the car and you decide it's going to be a track car, you're not going to drive it on the street. Uh, anymore as a daily driver you're just going to use it as a race car that they don't care about that it, it's still an emission certified vehicle so you can't do anything to that car legally uh, to, to do that and you know there has been some cases uh, where epas come in and find some shops uh, for selling equipment that would allow that to happen so that there is there's a specter here looming of what's going to happen to grassroots racing because of this. Well, if using Mike's technology, you know, hydrogen fuel with zero emissions, you're exempt from all of that because there is no emissions now. So we can't worry about that what level of emissions is putting out. There's no emissions is putting out. So that to me, that's one of the keys. Not only you get to keep the sound and we get to save the fleet um it actually preserves our ability to modify our cars and be able to go racing that's a huge thing by itself and then you know mike's other point he made about the existing what do they call it the car park you know all the vehicles uh on the planet that already exist that are internal combustion engines you know that's one of the things that formula one is beginning to address you know they've been running hybrids for uh seven eight years 
uh, you know, turbocharged hydrogen, direct injection, trying to make it as efficient and as clean as they can, still being internal combustion engines. But they're beginning to a new era where they're modifying the fuel to try to come up with a more sustainable fuel um, in terms of what emissions that fuel produces, the emissions related to the production of the fuel. So, you know, their goal is a net carbon production fuel, not saying the fuel itself produces zero emissions uh, because that technology won't, won't allow it. But that's the direction they're headed. And I think it's really interesting to see that, of course, their whole statement is, wait, we have a whole world full of internal combustion engines. We need to do our best job of letting racers do what they do best, which is come up with creative solutions to solve the problems of the existing car park and emissions. And, you know, again, hats off to Mike and his whole crew there, Arrington Performance, for doing what racers do best, coming up with a creative solution. It wasn't the one that everyone sees on TV uh, during the Super Bowl commercials and stuff in terms of electric vehicles. Come up with another way of doing it, but it's still the same net effect. And the fact that you can apply it to existing cars, that's a bigger win. for the for the whole environment actually absolutely okay so mike uh, you know i can't help but think of the rush song red barchetta where there was a motor law and you can't uh you know drive your cars anymore and honestly i know that it's a great fear within this community and uh you know people they are if you talk about clean air and clean water they're totally on board with it they love the idea but don't take away my love and my passion and my job and my business to do it, to accomplish it, right? There's got to be a better way. And it seems like you are touching on it. I thought about, you know, the connecting rod companies get to still sell their parts, all of that. But how did you do this? Let's go to the project now. It's an LS3. You got it. And what were the some of the steps that you had to go through to change it from running a gasoline to running hydrogen? And it is my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that hydrogen is, is available and already in use in California for many of their fleet vehicles. For those that are wondering, like, where am I going to get hydrogen? How do I do that? Am I going to have it under pressure in a tank in my vehicle? And the answer is yes, yes, and yes. They're already doing it in California. Uh, lay it out for us, Mike. Okay, so let me give you the answer to your question, then I'll give you a little bit of the emission kind of background, and then we'll go into the the specifics of my package. But um, So, yeah, you're correct. There are approximately 50 public hydrogen filling stations in California right now. And in addition, Shell has committed to build 40 more. And the, one of the latest pieces of legislation that passed in California actually is to support electric vehicles. But because there are fuel cell vehicles that run on hydrogen, they kind of got put in that same category. And the state of California has now committed to add 100 additional hydrogen fueling stations. So that puts California roughly in the 200 filling station range. Uh, for hydrogen within the next 18 to 24 months. So uh, 50 plus now and and more being built all the time. So um, hydrogen can be manufactured a number number of ways. One of the traditional ways that hydrogen is manufactured, it's pulled off when you tap a natural gas well and, and do things like that. People want to call that hydrogen is dirty because it takes uh, electricity to create it and when you use those and, and do things like that. The traditional way of creating hydrogen was somewhat dirty, right? There today, we have blue hydrogen and green hydrogen. Blue hydrogen is kind of a stopgap between traditional hydrogen and green hydrogen. It's created with a much, much, much smaller carbon footprint the emissions that it creates when they produce it is, is minuscule compared to the traditional way. Now, going all the way to green hydrogen, green hydrogen is created with zero carbon footprint. The manufacturing processes that they do it and the way they do it and how they power and everything they do today is done with zero carbon footprint. So there's zero emissions created from producing green hydrogen. Green hydrogen is where all of it will be in the future as they grow. 
Um, it's some of the, the president of Bosch actually has gone on record because hydrogen is a lot more popular in Europe and, and other places than it is in the U.S. So the president of Bosch has gone on record, and they believe once hydrogen becomes more available across the states, they expect the price of it to fall by 50%. So what, I get asked these questions a lot, so I'll just keep talking, and you break in when I say when I get too long. But, Sounds great. No, that's um, what we want. They want to hear you. They don't want to hear me. Go ahead. Okay. So if you, people ask all the time, what does hydrogen cost compared to gasoline? So I use California's numbers because they're the only ones that commercially sell hydrogen today. Gasoline in California, 87 octane, is about $5 a gallon. Some places a little less, some places more. But you can kind of average it to that $5 a gallon. Hydrogen is sold by the kilogram. But if you do the conversion between kilograms and, and gallons of gasoline, it equals about 350 a gallon today. So it's about about roughly thir a third less to buy hydrogen than it is to buy gasoline. In our analytical studies and in the testing and everything that we've done with our truck, and realize it's a work in progress, so we're continuing to develop. We were tuning on it earlier today. We ran a whole bunch of hydrogen through it today. And um, we have estimated about three and a half hours of runtime on a three kilogram tank. So that's comparable to about a 16 gallon fuel tank. So when you break it down at today's numbers, we're about 16 miles to the gallon at, at where we are today. Now we continue to work at that and we're changing fuel ratios and we're doing all of those things. So, but we continue to get better with our truck and and it's we're wearing tires out on the dyno we're running it so much but uh you know it's just part of what what you have to do to develop a program like this now hydrogen is used today as i said commercially in some applications in what they call fuel cell vehicles so a fuel cell vehicle has a hydrogen tank it uses that hydrogen it's injected into a membrane and as it goes through that membrane, it's burned, and it creates electricity. The electricity is drawn off of that, put into a battery pack, and that battery pack is then used to drive electric motors at the wheels of vehicles to create transportation. Okay? So that's the way hydrogen is used today. And a lot of people don't understand what we've done as far as making it an internal combustion engine. So we inject hydrogen. We have, they look like fuel injectors. We're currently running 16 of them because any injectors that were ever designed, they're all experimental, were designed to support like a four-cylinder, a 1.3-liter four-cylinder engine. Nobody ever fathomed someone would be crazy enough to build a 6.2-liter supercharged V8 and put it on hydrogen. But yet here I am. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, I Leave it to the guy from Michigan to do that. Right? Yeah, thank God for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's cold here a lot. We got nothing else to do, right? So, but uh, I have hired uh, Bosch. Uh, Bosch is a worldwide expert at, at all kinds of things. So I've hired Bosch to uh, to support me with calibration and with uh, some of my experimental components came from them. Some of them come from other places, but um, they they're a huge asset. They have extremely talented people, you know, and, and uh, I tell people all the time because I was one and not because I was, I guess is why I say it. There's a reason there's engineers and, you know, getting to work with some of the best in the business. Some of my previous friends that I worked with when I was at GM, they're retired now and, and one in particular, and he's involved with me in this project as far as helping from an engineering perspective getting the people from Bosch, some of the others that I've been able to talk to, whether it's tank engineers or fuel regulator engineers, whatever it is and where they're from, their expertise is critical to what we're accomplishing. So that's kind of the outlayer to it. Now, the hydrogen is every 
not everybody, but a lot of people want to think of the Hindenburg when you talk about hydrogen. They want to go, oh, my God, it's so explosive. Oh, my God, you know, people die. Oh, my God, oh, my God, right? The reality of hydrogen is that, number one, it's the lightest element known to man. There's a scale that the scientists have created to assign a number to the weight of a gas, okay? Hydrogen is number two. There's not a number one, but number two, they wanted to leave room in case we ever find one. So hydrogen is number two. The air around us that we breathe from a weight perspective in this chart is a 34. So if that gives you any idea how light hydrogen is, if we escape hydrogen, it goes straight up into the atmosphere as fast as it can travel. Bosch ran a test on hydrogen where they actually lit, created a hydrogen leak and lit it on fire. You got the woof when it went off, but it traveled so quickly into the atmosphere and mixed with the atmosphere that it actually put itself out and didn't even burn the tape on the electrical connectors that they used to create a spark to light it. Hmm. Okay. How about that? So when people look at the Hindenburg and they go, oh, my God, it crashed, it died, right? What most people don't realize is the Hindenburg was cloth. They used hydrogen because it's the lightest element known. It was a cloth, basically balloon that they created. But to prevent the hydrogen from going through it, they had coated the whole thing with it like an aluminum substance. There were seven different chemicals on that cloth, and each one of them was more flammable than the next. So when it hit a power line, it naturally created a short. And, and melted through that and set the cloth on fire. The hydrogen escaped virtually immediately because it's going up. You can't stop it. If, unless you contain it, it's going up. If released atmosphere, straight, to the, straight into the sky. So that's what the hydrogen did. The cloth and the other materials on the Hindenburg continued to burn, and it crashed, and people got some people got burnt, some died from the crash it actually wasn't as many people passed as you would assume from something like that but the reality of it is that virtually no one got burned or hurt from the hydrogen now i tell people all the time imagine if the hindenburg had been filled with gasoline okay that makes sense and it, and yeah, it went yeah, down getting bombed yeah and coated everyone instead of going up. Now, hydrogen burns three times as fast as gasoline. So as it went straight up, it exhausted itself, burned up, and disappeared. Imagine if it had went down, coated everything underneath it, and continued to burn. Wow. Wow. It's yeah, a great so, visual to reset. Yeah, what, what your our preconceived notion is: yes, this is dangerous. It's more dangerous than gasoline. But as anyone that's ever been around a gasoline fire can replay your scenario in your head. Oh yeah, that'd have been way worse if there was yes. gasoline yes. tanks in there. And we just have yep. to go to any kind of racing in the night in the nineteen fifty forties, fifties, sixties, and beyond before you know Bill Simpson and others. Uh, made it a little more safe. Gasoline fires, very, very dangerous, very, very bad, and everyone was using it, right? Like, everybody was out there using it. Um, 30, yep. 35 deaths in the Hindenburg, and just a hidden horsepower milestone, guys. Talking Hindenburg here with uh, Mike yep. Copeland. Interesting stuff. But your point is well taken, though, because I've brought this subject up to many people, and that's the first thing they say. Like, oh, well, what's it in? Is it in a tank? What's it in? How does it work? Is it safe? And that is the question. Um, but like you said, if you think about gasoline in a tank and you think about hydrogen in a tank, which is safer, that's really the question. Right. So the tank that, that I use was actually developed for a fuel cell bus. And that's what they manufactured it for. It's approximately 50 inches long and approximately 17 inches in diameter. So it holds three kilograms. It's spun aluminum. It's completely covered on the outside with carbon fiber. It's DOT certified. 
It has a valve at each end, one that, that we control with the ECM to open the valve to let hydrogen go up to the fuel regulator and therefore the fuel rail. It has a safety blow-off valve there. We also have a, uh, a, a pressure transducer that we use to output to a gas gauge. So, and then the, at the other end of the hydrogen tank is another uh, blow-off valve. So if the pressure gets too high, it'll automatically vent and, and release the hydrogen to the atmosphere. So that's, that's the way the tank's designed. Like I say, it's DOT certified. One of the struggles we had when we went to SEMA is, it's, you know, SEMA had actually was going to let me start the truck. And customs seized my tank. It was made in, in Canada, and it had to come into the U.S., and they seized it because they didn't understand what it was, and they sat on it for four weeks, just over four weeks. And, and it arrived uh, at my shop on the Monday of SEMA. <laughs> So, so we didn't actually have the tank in it when we got to, to California, but we, we run it on portable welding tanks full of hydrogen. So it already ran. We knew it did, knew it drove and, and did that kind of stuff. So, but, um, so hydrogen contains three times the energy of gasoline approximately, and it burns approximately three times as fast as gasoline. So, we use hydrogen. We store it. Hydrogen is stored in storage tanks at basically two pressure levels. Our pressure level is 350 bar, which is 5,074 PSI roughly. That's the low level. Fuel cell vehicles, most all of them, use hydrogen in their tank at 700 bar, which is just over 10,150 roughly PSI. They do that because they can get twice as much volume in the same size tank. When you do that to fill, the pump has to communicate with the vehicle. It goes through a cooling process as it fills. It does some other things. We chose to not do that right now. We have the opportunity to do it in the future if we want to. But for right now, we don't think we need to do that. So we're at 350 bar. So... We and that's nothing a, to do with the performance of the of the engine. That's just capacity in the tank. Just correct? capacity, correct? Yeah, it has nothing to do with performance. We actually regulate right now. We're regulating in about the eight bar range, so we're just over a hundred psi. Okay. So, um, hydrogen is also very permeable, which means it will escape through materials. So you have to have specific lines, specific fuel lines. If you did a standard like stainless line, like what you typically use in a car, hydrogen will just permeate right through it. So um, you can't, everything has to be specific for that point, right? So we use special hydrogen leak detectors to test everything. We test it every time. And, and frankly, the products that we're using have been perfect from day one. So we have had zero issues with any hydrogen escaping. Okay. So it sounds like you've got the safety aspect of this covered quite well, actually. Like you've been working really hard to address the safety concerns. Absolutely. It's critical, right? I mean, it's, it's, I'm not going to put my employees, myself, my friends, my partners, I'm not going to put any of them in, in any kind of unnecessary uh, chance of, of something happening, right? There are people in the past, I, I had somebody that talked to me about it. A friend of his was trying to do hydrogen, and him and his son passed from an explosion. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go down that path unless I know I can make it safe. My chief engineer on this, who's my friend that I worked with at GM, one of my really good friends, he helped build all of the fuel cell vehicles that GM has done through the years. So he brings a wealth of experience. Bosch, you know, because hydrogen is more popular in Europe, they've uh, created all kinds of safety standards and guidelines and all those things. And, and we use all of those, right? We use the, the standards that the industry has. There are Society of Automotive Engineer specifications for hydrogen. As an example, the valve and how you fill it 
and the communication strategy. Uh, we don't have to communicate at 350 bar, but at 700 bar you do. All of those strategies are divi- designed and defined by the Society of Automotive Engineers. So there are standards for every one of those components and how it functions. And we operate within those specifications. Well, it's great that there's actually this whole foundation, if you will, that's already been laid by the hydrogen fuel cell technology that you can kind of, like I said, borrow and build off of all of that. But as opposed to using it to power a fuel cell for electricity, you're doing combustion. So, um, as an engine guy, my first thought goes to well, how similar is the combustion process with a gas like this, which is hydrogen gas, um, in comparison to, say, natural gas. I remember as a kid growing up on a farm, you know, and we had engines that ran on natural gas. Um, so I know you can convert an engine to nat- from um, gasoline uh, to LPG. But or even just uh, straight up gas. What about how is that similar or how is it different than hydrogen combustion? Um, it is different. There's different temperature thresholds. There's different uh, fuel ratios. There's uh, opportunities to do things with hydrogen that you cannot do with others. Um, it's very forgiving from my, uh, uh, for lack of a better description, an octane standpoint. So. Mm-hmm. When we built our engine, uh, the engine that's in the truck, I, you know, we, we're learning, right? And there's a lot we don't know. And, you know, I'm a hot rodder and, and, you know, we all kind of build to that. Let's better be safe than sorry. So um, our engine specifically has a number of features that we integrated specifically because we're on hydrogen. We started with the LS3 block. We machined it for piston oil squirters and put piston oil squirters in it. Um, we're using a K1 crank. I have uh, K1 rods, and I have uh, Weisco made a custom set of pistons for me. We intentionally ran a slightly shorter rod so we could run a little larger piston and therefore get more heat transfer out of it. If you've ever built an LS, you know that the pistons, you, you, you're amazed they ever work because they're so short, and they stick so far out of the bore when they come to the bottom. So uh, right. we run a little larger piston with a shorter rod, to, to just to add a margin of safety, right? We're we're very concerned initially about engine temperatures and and how how much cylinder temperature we built and and all of those things because you have the opportunity to to get it really high. So we added that safety. We're using a specific head gasket. Um, I have stock uh, LSA cylinder heads on it with Inconel valves in them. Um, we're running a comp did a special grind camshaft, uh, specifically for us and no, they didn't know what they were doing. I, just, <laughs> I gave them the, the, the information and said, Hey, I need this. And they probably thought I was crazy, but you know, that thing will never make part. Uh, we, we run a very wide center line. Uh, really the only thing I'll share with you is that we, uh, hydrogen does not like revision into the intake port. So we run very low overlap and very wide center line. The center line is 122 and a half. Wow. In this engine, right? So, um, and, and truthfully, if you actually go out and look, that is really not much different than the way some of the OEs get around uh, to meet the emission requirements when they build supercharged engines. So if you if you actually go out and study the specifics of the camshafts that that many of the OEs use, you'll see uh, a lot of those same kinds of things, right? So um, it doesn't like revision. Um, so we we designed a specific camshaft for that. Right now we have it straight up in the motor, and um, and and we do it that way. We're not using variable cam timing. Okay. Um, we have a Magnuson 2650 supercharger on top of it. It's designed for uh, the one I'm using is was actually designed for a CTSV or a ZL1 Camaro. It's their latest and, and greatest that they offer. So that's on the engine. Um, we're running 16 fuel injectors. 
because, as I said, they didn't make them big enough. So we have eight in the traditional location, and we machined an adapter that goes between the, the intercooler lid for the supercharger and the supercharger itself, and we added eight additional fuel injectors that come in from the sides. And uh, it's not optimum, but it works because the hydrogen is light, it's easy to control and easy to pull with vacuum, so we run it that way. So um, we have uh, we fire it with spark plugs. I'm using E3s in it. They're a very cold version of E3. It's actually the same plug that they run in the Copo uh, drag pack uh, or Copo Camaros and the drag pack Challenger. So same thing. I have E3 coils and I have Cook's uh, spark plug wires on it. Um, Cooks built a set of, uh, of headers for me. They're what I call a long shorty, so they're longer than a traditional shorty header. They're, uh, they started a, a one and seven eighths and go up to two inch. Uh, mm-hmm. We really didn't. I don't know that that helps, but it didn't hurt. So we're running a three inch collector with a full three inch exhaust all the way through the truck and out the back. Um, so that's the, the kind of the package that we have. Now, what we've learned as we continue to do this, we don't really need, aside from the, the camshaft overlap, we really don't need any of it. We hmm. will be able to install this package, and that's our goal is retrofit packages on any production engine that ran on gasoline. So if you had an injector that was capable of going in the same spot that could flow enough hydrogen, you could just swap the camshaft, do the injectors, and essentially be able to run the engine. Yeah, you won't even have to swap the camshaft if you're running a stock camshaft. So if you had a, an, you know, a, an LS motor or you had a Hemi or you had a Ford Coyote and it still had stock camshafts in it, you'll be able to run our package with it. Wow. And that's the that. even if you had a old 302 Ford or a 327 Chevy, if you had a, a a 273 Dodge, right? We'll be able to run it on this package. And that's ultimately the goal. Let's face it, right? Like you're trying to solve multiple problems, but if you can create a package that you can sell to hot rodders out there that either by conscience or by mandate need to go zero emissions you've got something where they're classic vehicles that they've loved and worked so hard and put you know countless hours and dollars and blood sweat and tears are no not irrelevant immediately you are going to have hopefully a package that they can utilize um, if that were to happen yes that's incredible I mean, the great part we, we have no exhaust after treatment there's no catalytic converters there's none of that right we use we use wideband O2 sensors and they read and communicate with our computer. We're using a, a, a computer that comes from Bosch. That's what we're using right now, and that's one of the areas that we're continuing to develop. You know, we'll we're, we operate in some ranges that OE computers were never designed. Our fuel mixtures, things like that, are way way different than 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 what anybody traditionally would run in a gasoline engine. So um, in the case of the computers, they're designed to work within a threshold. We're outside of that threshold. Uh, Working with Bosch, because it's their computer, they were actually able to rewrite the software in the ECM to let it work. So, um, you know, those are things we'll be looking at as we go forward. You know, is is it necessary to to run a new computer? Can you modify the one that's there? How do you do it, right? So, you know, this is not Is that based on the fact that the hydrogen, you run it so much leaner? Yes, part of it. That's one of the challenges. So Challenges. Yeah, you know, people, and and they ask this, and and I've told, I mean, I'm not going to give away a bunch of what we've paid and worked so hard to learn, but, um, you know, we're... Our fuel mixtures are between 75 to 1 and 100 to 1. 
<laughs> well, and and it's it's funny. So let me jump in here because I I know everybody is I I like to think that I know the audience and everybody wants to know like wow this is amazing. But what's it sound like? You provided a video, so let's see if I can get some audio for the folks out there just to hear combustion hydro. <laughs> Sounds sounds like any other uh, engine. It sounds like combustion. You hear a big you hear a big supercharger whining like crazy. Yeah, and um, the hydrogen is is very resistant to detonation. So could it uh, be know, our, our engine? Let me ask you, Mike. Like, okay, you're just scratching the surface. You're like one team working on this in a way that nobody else is because you're a hot rodder. You said it yourself, right? Uh, is right. it is it possible that when this product is refined and you actually learn like what it wants, what it likes, what's the right thing, you're kind of retrofitting and you're it's a retrofit concept. I get that. But as you learn, as we've learned on Hidden Horsepower, right, like you're now on this journey of learning, is it possible this is going to be better, more powerful, more powerful engines that are zero emissions that enable us to continue to do everything we love, but also make much more power? Is that possible too? Um, yeah, we believe it's possible. So here's, here's the positives and the negatives. I'll give the negatives first to hydrogen, the way we're using it today. We're using it in a port fuel application. So we inject it two injectors to inject the hydrogen. The hydrogen to get it into the combustion chamber physically takes about 25% of the volume of the port. So if you just took a naturally aspirated application and put it on hydrogen without anything to, 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 to change or supplement that, you're going to lose about 25% of the power. So if you had a 400 horsepower engine, you're going to have a 300 horsepower engine. Okay. By today's, by what we know today. Now, we know that when we go to direct injected applications with the development to, in the piston and in combustion chamber and all those things, and because we no longer have to travel the hydrogen through the port, we believe there's a performance advantage to doing it. Okay. So that's a, that's a step that we're going to go through as we continue down this path. One of the other things that we've learned pretty rapidly is these engines on hydrogen really, really like boost. Hmm. Today, we're running uh, approximately 20 pounds of boost on a 9-to-1 compression LS with no detonation. Wow. Sorry. No, I'm with <laughs> you. You can't do that on pump gas. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, those are, you know, those are things we're learning and those are what we're doing. Our initial goal was to put this truck at about 15 pounds and the target was uh, 500 horsepower. We're at 20 pounds now and, uh, and, and we will we'll exceed our original estimates for power. Fantastic. What does it, this is crazy, uh, maybe the answer is nothing. What does it smell like, right? Like, you know, the sights, the smells, the sound. Is there anything? It's just water that comes out? How does that work? Yeah, there is absolutely no smell. So there's, when you burn hydrogen, there's no carbon monoxide, there's no carbon dioxide, none of that, right? You can, you get a very, very minuscule amount, almost immeasurable of N2O. And you have to specifically look for it, and it's not a harmful gas, so it's 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 not an emission gas, so it, it really is, is a zero effect. The only way to create carbon monoxide is to burn oil, and so if the engine burns oil or your crankcase ventilation system uh, let oil back into the engine, you could create a little bit of of uh, of carbon monoxide. We do have the ability, depending on fuel mixture, where we could change, and you can see a minuscule amount of of uh, of N2 of uh, you know hydrocarbons, very very minuscule. But 
we're we're playing with that. The range is is really wide open to still keep it zero emission, and that's what our package is. That's our goal. Now these are not cheap parts, right? This is I, I mean. I'd shudder to tell you how much my wife and I have invested to get to where we are. I mean, in the overall scheme of things, it's not even a, a round off on the decibel point, but this is not cheap. And I'll give you an example. The fuel regulator that's in my truck, because we started 5,074 PSI, we regulate down to just over 100 to put it to the rail. That fuel regulator, when I bought it, was $5,000. The fuel tank itself is 8,000, not counting the valves that go in it, all right? But savings of scale, savings of opportunity, today I've got that fuel regulator under 10 cents on the dollar. And oh, we'll wow. continue to work at all the different things to get there, right? When you buy one it's and it's experimental, it's really, really expensive. When you buy 10, they get a lot cheaper. When you buy 100, you buy 1,000. You buy 10000 right? Now, I'm a hot rodder, always have been. I mean, I grew up at roughly four or five years old with my hand up in the door of a 54 Ford holding a nut so my dad could replace a window regulator, right? I've been a, I've been a racer my entire life. I, I just, I love to go fast. I love to push the boundaries. I want to support my industry my friends, my, my, my people that, that have the same passion I do. The best way I know to do that is to, is to drive the cost of this package down. The way to do that is to do municipalities, to do bus fleets, to do all of these other things where you drive the numbers of the product you need, the individual pieces, high enough and that, that it drives the cost low enough so you can transfer that cost across. And I've had a number of municipalities reach out to me. They want to convert 300 police cars to hydrogen. I have people, they have 200 buses, and they want to convert them to hydrogen. It's, it's all of that's out there. And, and that's just from the exposure I got at SEMA. Wow. Okay. So we will do a lot of that, and we will do that as a way to drive the cost down so that we can, that people won't have to spend as much to convert their 32 Ford or their 69 Camaro or whatever it is they got in their in their garage. So there are 90 million internal combustion engines in the U.S. that are registered. I don't need to do 90 million to make this thing successful. Right. Lake, no. we're, we're yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. It's a great point that hey, that same regulator that will work on a bus or a police car will work on your 32 Ford or yep. your road race car. The same yep. tank will work on the bus it's same and, and your race car. So by scaling the acceptance of the base componentry that you need to make this work, then it, it is. It's not like you're having to make special parts that then it becomes the – that short production run, high cost, it really is a, a, a very scalable concept, actually, when you break it down to the, the nuts and bolts of the piece, which is incredibly impressive. It's 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 just a really elegant solution in so many ways that it's like, wow, it's just, it was right here in front of us the whole time, and we just missed it. But thank God for, like I said, a hot rodder that, that, <laughs> that has some give-a-damn that says, hey, let's go make this thing happen. Let's try something else let's go a different way and like you said there's so many other things that you can learn about this that when you start building an engine specifically designed around it uh, to really maximize its potential you could probably see you know massive uh efficiency gains just by building the suit as opposed to just retrofitting so it kind of gives you both both directions yeah, well, and you know, Lake, you're a you're a you know really into the piston and the ring design and all that kind of stuff, right? So yep. rings are critical with what we're doing, right? We have yours, we have total seals in the engine, right? That's critical to what we're doing. Here's the thing that that 
that is an opportunity as we go forward. Hydrogen burns at three times the speed of gasoline. Okay. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest challenges to building to efficiently get an efficiency from a race engine and from any engine is the amount of time it takes for the fuel once it goes into the combustion chamber to burn. So the time that it takes to burn across the top of the piston. That's exactly. one of the that's one of the great limits to RPM. Right? Yes, sir. So um most people don't realize that, uh, you know, retired GM engineer, right? So, so uh, you know, that's the reason the 8.1 engine had a 4 and 3 eighth inch stroke crank and a small bore because we had trouble meeting emissions with a big bore. So burn the less because it's too, too right. far of a distance, right? Yeah. Right, right. It's why diesel engines run at a lower RPM. It's not because mm-hmm. the components won't do it. It's because the fuel burn rate is so too much slow. slower. Yeah. Right. So now hydrogen burns at three times the rate. Oh, and, and by the way, four inches bore, you, I'm sure you already know this, the, about the optimum RPM for a four inches bore, just over four inch, is about 7,000 RPM. You lose efficiency at that point, but, it, but the efficiency of extracting the energy and completely burning the fuel falls drastically above that. If you ever measure hydrocarbons in an engine, once you go past that point, they go crazy. So that's one of the big struggles, right? Because we burn hydrogen at three times the speed, with supporting components, theoretically, we could run 20,000 RPM. Yeah, see, that's incredible. And that's where the efficiency is unreal. That's, right. That's, yeah. Like, literally, the sky's the limit, no pun intended. Right. So, I mean, it's the opportunity. There's so much to learn here. There's so much to do. Um, I'm going to build a, a uh, at some point, once I get a little further down the road and we get some bigger injectors. Our goal is to go to eight injectors instead of 16. So uh, we've been, we're, we're on the path to do production level parts, which again, lowers the price, makes availability more. And they meet more to what our what my requirements are. So we're, we're working through those specific details right now. So once we get those, right, we can go down to eight injectors. The question is, how much power can I really make on hydrogen? So, you know, Arrington's a Hemi company, right? I know it seems weird that we built an LS, but, you know, <laughs> I got a huge GM history. And part availability is so much better for an LS than it is a Hemi. So, um and they're much more common, right? When I'm trying to target that right. market, you know, I did my first LS swap in my barn in 99. Okay. <laughs> Today I, I'm doing hemi swaps left and right. But there's, you know, 10 years in there at least before people really started trying to swap hemis. So the number, the sheer number of LSs is just so much bigger. So that was why we went down an LS path. But I'm going to build a a, kind of like a factory stock uh, Gen 3 Hemi. We're going to put the big blower on it, and we're going to put it on the engine dyno and see how much we can make. Wow. I want to be there for that. Joe, I can already (laughs) tell you, man, I I, I can already see it. I want this. I want a 400 cubic inch supercharged 20,000 RPM hydrogen-fueled engine. I think we need that. Like I want that. I agree with you. No, I I agree as well. All right, guys, we're coming down the home stretch here, and I think this is great. Uh, Mike, we're definitely going to ask you about advice for the next generation. Uh, Lake, if you've got any questions that you didn't already ask, uh, fire away. And uh, and then I'll hit Mike with a couple of extras because, I, you know, I want to know the timeline. I want to know how can people help? Like, should they call their local governments and say, hey, man, hydrogen stations, we need this. Um, think about those things. But, Lake, if you've got a final question or two, he did go to Ring Seal, which I thought was very important. I was wondering about that. Like, how important? That sounds pretty important. It's always important. Is it important? It's obviously very important. Lake, but uh, final questions for Mr. Copeland. <laughs> He saved the best for last, Joe. That's, okay. that's what it was. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, but, you know, seriously, it, it, 
my, my, my mind is just spinning right now. I can't even ask, ask a question. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about stuff. When he mentioned the flame speed earlier, I started thinking back in my head. Like, yeah, I mean, flame speed, I mean, you could run bigger bore because you run higher, you know, higher RPM. You, you could really get more efficiency that way. You can untrap the valves, all this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Then you can, it comes back to it. I'm like, this is really cool. I, I think the, the, the question is, yeah, what can we do to help? How can we help move this forward? Well, I, you know, I've been, I've had some senators reach out to me, uh, you know, wanting to bring hydrogen to their state. They see the potential, right? And, and they want to get it there. So, uh, you know, I have some of that going on. I've been invited uh, to go and speak to a, a group of U.S. senators about, you know, the hydrogen program and, and the path that I'm on and, and, and what we're out to create. So that part's going, you know, well better than I would have expected, right? I mean, who would have ever thought that they would, that, you know, a senator would call me, <laughs> right? So, but they have, and, and we've had a, a number of great conversations, and, and they're definitely interested, right? This package is, is as close to zero emission as you can possibly get. We're on. We're working on the, the some of the details right now. Today was a big piece of that step. I'm going to California to the SEMA garage. We're taking it there, and we're running a mission test for CARB. Mm. And then CARB has already added hydrogen to their acceptable alternative fuels. So I met with them at SEMA. We had a lot of conversation. I shared with them where I was going and what we were doing, and and they were super excited. And uh, so. My plan is to get this emission test out of the way and, and go there, right? And once we get our zero emission certification, I think that uh, the sky's the limit at that point. Well, Joe, I can tell you this. I think we need to get Mr. Copeland and his truck down to Piney Flats, Tennessee, uh, for the next Engine Performance Expo. Uh, one, we get to see it up close that way. <laughs> but yeah. then, two, we can also give the chance to, to broadcast this message out to a global audience, plus there's can be a lot of other great engine builders around there that that may get a little bit of a, a taste for what this fun could be and yeah i think the more people to start building engines like this it's, it's just going to build momentum well i, I think it, it's a really great thing and the idea that there's going to you know the uh the, the concept of uh a retro kit right like everybody's got their vehicle that they've already put so much love into it and they don't want they wonder like what what's going to happen with this thing that the future is uh, possible there's there's a way there's a way uh, that is being developed that is working on it. and Mike you you are working on it and you're taking a lot of that investment onto yourself uh, but hopefully there is great reward for you in the future and I can tell you that we featured the truck from SEMA on Motorhead Garage uh, which you know aired on Sunday mornings on on Motor Trend and you know a lot of people were very interested in it like what wait what how fuel cell no man burns car uh, burns hydrogen and uh, people are interested. Uh, I am interested, and I can't wait to see where it goes, and I think we're going to have to have you back to follow up on this. But a part of Hidden Horsepower is the idea that there is a next generation of engine builders, of students, of people who want to be involved in this industry, who have sought it out via the podcast, and I'd like to give them a little advice for the next generation from our engine builders, our experts. Mike, you've laid so much out there about your you know, life methodology, right? Engineer, hot rodder, um, but innovator, technology, all that. What would your advice be for the next generation of engine builders out there? Well, I, I think the first thing I would tell them is to, is to learn the past. Because people will tell you over and over again that there's really nothing ever new, right? You tweak it, you do this, you do that. I mean, when I was when I was 12 years old, I was racing mini bikes, and I mean, I used to we used to build motors. I, I was a full-on factory-sponsored professional rider. We were paid to to go to events. I had 47 mini bikes at one time in my garage. So, and I had multiple engines for every one of them. So, from the time I was eight years old, I was tearing engines apart and putting them back together, right? I learned from my dad. I learned from my dad's friends. I learned from the professionals that we worked with. But to go in and believe, first off, that that the opportunity to invent something completely new really 
is so much easier if you know the past. So go learn the past. Find somebody to work with. Find a shop. You know, I have an engine shop. I have a build shop. I have all kinds of, you know, I have 30,000 square feet here. And it's so hard to get anybody. I have one young guy that's 15 years old that's here all the time. And, uh, you know, he, he works every day after school, but he shows up early. If he's got a day off school, he's here because he wants to learn that. And you have to learn from the people that did it and then take what you know, apply it to a new opportunity, and make it better. And there you have it. Excellent work. Mike, this has been so eye-opening for me. I am excited about your project. I can't wait for updates as you continue along the journey. And you're doing something for all of the car community, right? Like you're you're opening up a new way that people hadn't considered, and I think that is so admirable, and I thank you greatly for it. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for being on the show. Lake, obviously, your, your final thoughts for Mike. Well, you said it was not only is this for the car community. Yeah, this is for the, for the earth. This is something for our kids, our grandkids, you know, our neighbors. This is true innovative technology and it's so cool to see it coming out of racing because that's one of the things i always believe and we talked about this on the podcast with uh, neil Cantor, right from the society of tribologists and engineers is that that's what racers are great at is coming up with innovative solutions and making it happen not just talking about it but making it happen and that's that's all of that is wrapped up in this project right here. It's so cool to see it happen. Mike, great job. Thank you for joining us on Hidden Horsepower. Good luck with the project. Please keep us updated. Do you have social media? Do you have a way for the audience to to follow along with what you're doing? What is the best way for people to stay like up on this if they want to? Well, so right now the best way is to follow our Facebook page or our Instagram, and, uh, and that's uh, Arrington Performance. Uh, you can follow my personal because I put it there too. I have like 5,000 followers on my personal, and that's just Mike Copeland. Um, we will very shortly launch uh, Arrington-Hydrogen.com, and uh, all of that will be there. But um, you know, we'll be at, at shows and events. We do. Uh, I do like a dozen events a year around the country. We're headed to Detroit, Detroit Autorama the first weekend in March. And the truck will be there, and then the truck will be at the uh, Bradenton NMCA race uh, in the third week of uh, third weekend of March as well. So, but um, we're around. Uh, like I say, social media. Just look for my name, or look for Hydrogen Pickup. So, I'm very fortunate that a lot of people like yourselves are interested and are sharing and and promoting. So. That's how we make it work. Very much so. We are promoting Arrington underscore performance on Instagram. And now you have 5,265 followers. <laughs> happy to happy to get the updates. Mike, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on Hidden Horsepower. Thank you, guys. And there he goes. Mike Copeland, CEO of Arrington Lake. My head is spinning, and I don't even know what I'm talking about. You must be going crazy. Oh, my mind is totally blown i'm ruined for the rest of the day but in such a good way uh for everyone who's listening right now please go follow them like them share what's going on you know call your senator as you can call your senators or congressmen you can go to the websites right i think they have a senate.gov i think they have it where you can go there's a little link you can click share this information with your elected representatives, this is important. This is as important as the RPM Act. I think it's, the RPM Act is important, and we need that. But this is just as important. And the reason why I say that is because this is more than just racing. It's great for racing, and I want to race one of these things at some point. You could convince me to go drag racing, Joe. It, I like I like this concept so much. Right? I, I do straight line racing. To be able to go drive one of these things, <laughs> but well, I think I agree. But it, but, it, but <laughs> sorry. No, I agree. Though you're absolutely right. Like, continue your thought. It, 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 but it's so important for the whole world. For like you said, for mine, you know, mining trucks, uh, 
ambulances, police cars, dump trucks, buses, you name it. This is truly revolutionary technology. Uh, he, I don't think he mentioned it, but hydrogen is the most abundant uh, element in the universe. So it's not something that's in short supply. Right. And this is a non-destructive, right, because it creates water. So the hydrogen is still there. You know, you're not destroying a molecule. You're just doing chemistry. So this is truly sustainable technology. I, I could go on and on, but I'm going to shut up now. It's just it's cool. I'm so glad that Mike spent the time. And whoever's listening, if you're still hanging in this far, please share this story. It's important. Subscribe, click the bell, write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. As you've noticed, Hidden Horsepower has really ramped it up. There's more episodes from the PRI trade show that are going to be dropping in the coming weeks. Uh, all kinds of great stuff happening, NHRA and racing season, all kinds of racing, getting ready to get started or getting started or has started, and it's just going to be super exciting for the remainder of the year. But ultimately... When he said that Ring Seal was super important and we've got yours, I thought, well, I bet you there's a lot of people out there listening that probably have got a little project, maybe not as exotic as this one. If somebody needs rings, Lake, what should they do? Uh, just go to TotalSeal.com. That is the place to go. You've got email links in there. We've got the YouTube video links, the Hidden Horsepower podcast links. It's the place to begin, TotalSeal.com. Uh, if you've got a question, Pick up the phone. Call us, 623-587-7400. The guys are here. They're ready to take a call. They have over 100 years of engine-building experience between our four tech guys. So there's a lot of things they've seen that can help people out. So if you need a piston ring, you got a project, as Keith Jones always says, make us your first call, not your last call. There you go. He's Lake Speed Jr. I'm Joe Costello, WFO Joe on Twitter and Instagram. You can also listen to my podcast, WFO Radio, which is less technical. It's more interviews with winning NHRA drivers, and sometimes that is Matt Hartford. Continue to join us. Continue to enjoy those episodes. We got many more to come on Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal Piston Rings. We'll see you next time.